Okay, and we are back for the second episode of our Watchmen podcast, where we're going to discuss episode two and three. And uh, we were discussing this briefly before we started the podcast. Preston, you were not a fan of episode two, but you liked episode three a lot. No, I mean, episode two is okay. I just thought episode one and three uh, were a lot more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. A lot, more, a lot more action. Two had more world building, um, getting into some, some background on you know, who this will was, uh, what, what exactly were Red Ferations, um, the, you know, the world they live in and stuff like that. Um, and also, you know, we were kind of suspecting some things in episode one, and it's just kind of a lot of the, the building of our suspicions in episode one continue in episode two. So we're not learning anything new. Um, for, you know, for instance, finding the clan robe uh, in Judd's closet, we kind of suspected something was off with Judd. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's built into his name because so Judd has the villain's name from Oklahoma the musical, and, but he actually has a line that says, "Oh, I, I, I played the hero," and so you're like, "Well, did he, he plays the hero, but he's actually the villain." Is that is that the statement being made? So isn't um, isn't that what, what Young Will was? Want, or um, I don't know if that was Will or Will's care, caretaker, but. Yeah. Remember that that little black boy in the very beginning of episode one was watching the tale of the um, I forgot that the 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 movie he was watching, but in the movie, didn't the vigilante take the uh, bad guy out, and the bad guy was the marshal, who wears white? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I, Paralleling also, Judge uh, Judd. Yeah. There's just there's so many parallels and callbacks. Oh and, God. And, yeah. It's it's getting it, it's getting really dense. That it's really. Almost any scene now, because there's so many callbacks to other things that you can, you can read almost anything into it now. Because, right. Because he's cram packing everything. Um, is that now? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that real quick. Is that a little suffocating? Because I was actually thinking about doing like all the Easter eggs and Watchmen, but I almost but I felt there's too I, many. There's yeah. way too many. Like if I leave one out, like I'm going to get called out in the comments section of death by people like you forgot about that one. You're not yeah. a fan. It's like I mean, there's just these random things where someone will say Doctor Manhattan's name, and then some coffee maker will be blue, and you know, it's just yeah. there's so much at all times like mm-hmm. that that you know, it's it's. Um, it is a little. It is a little much, um, but the the, the creator, um, Damon Lindelof, he said that he believed that the Watchmen comic was that packed, and so with every with every panel having something in it, and so he felt like he needed to do the same thing. Um, but he also did. He he's also just prone to do that. It, I mean, it, in Lost and the Leftovers, there's a lot of stuff crammed in there. Some of it means st- something, and some sometimes it doesn't mean anything, and and you're just sitting there scratching your head, overanalyzing everything, not not making, you know, not sure, you know, if, what it really means. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot in both episode two and three. I mean, just even the beginning where, you know, they're in World War One, and the the flyers are the Germans are coming down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a, this is a real German flyer from history. Uh, like this wasn't a fictitious thing. Yes, the Germans would fly planes over and drop propaganda over the black troops, that would say like, "Oh, your life in America kind of sucks." Like in Germany, like black people are tre- treated uh, as equals, which is very funny considering you know the rise of the Nazi Party happens later. Right. Um, uh, but. Um, you know that was a real thing, and so 
he was, you know, he was placing, I think that's Will's father is in World War One, and then he gives, he gives the, uh, then he writes on that flyer, take care of this boy, and gets the boy out of the Tulsa riots. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, if you're, if you're trying to analyze the scene, it seems to be like, okay, this is talking about how, look, we all have history and heritage and, and um, all of this leads to our protagonist, um, Regina King. Um, and, and so we're seeing, like, where Regina King came from, you know, in this opening. Like, going from a soldier to the Tulsa riots to, you know, you know her and her, her life. Um, you know, going to Vietnam and or being, I guess she was born in Vietnam and raised in Vietnam. But, mm-hmm. um, but it was an American state and then, you know, all of these things happening to her. I don't know how much it really has to do with the plot other than establishing like a backstory to Regina King's characters. Right. To, um, to, um, uh, <laughs> what's her name? Dark sister? Uh, uh sister Knight. <laughs> sister Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Establishing a backstory to sister Knight. So l- let's start there. So the episode a- opens with, you know, Judd is hanging and the old man is taking, uh, Will. He's taking credit for it. So she takes him back to the bakery and all that stuff, and she cuffs him, and when she comes back later, he's uncuffed, and he's cooking uh, eggs. And um, did you notice he reaches into the pot of boiling water and picks out the egg? Did you notice that? No. So it wasn't boiling at all? I believe believe it was boiling, actually. Let me double-check here real quick. I have the episode right here with me. Yes, the pan is boiling. Like, I see, like, the steam coming off it. So... This uh, and the, and his attire, the red attire. Um, uh-huh. Not to mention the fact that you know, uh, at one point, a lot of the characters are watching TV and they're watching the show American Hero Story, I believe, and uh, it's about about the hooded justice. Yeah, right. In the American Hero Story, the hooded justice, you can clearly see it's a white guy with blue eyes, but we really, right. it's a reenactment. Um, this could also imply here because the hooded justice is wearing uh, red and he has the 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 noose around his neck. I guess the implication oh. here is that Will was the Hooded Justice. I see, and they just they they uh, in the reenactment they just uh, they they put in the wrong race for him. I guess I, I guess people don't remember like who the like you know the well he, the guy was always wearing a mask, so I guess nobody really knew who the Hooded Justice really was. But why why would he why would he be able to pick a hot egg out of a pot without? <laughs> maybe maybe because. Uh, when he was beating the shit out of those guys, I guess he's beaten up so many guys that guys, I guess he's lost feeling in his hands. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, maybe. Or he's really Dr. Manhattan, like he claims. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember my grandmother. She used to work in the fields, and she always worked with her hands. And, you know, she had, like, one of those, like, like tough tough hands and stuff. I remember she could do, like, you know, boiling water. Like, she wouldn't feel it. She would, like, you know, do the dishes with, like, incredibly hot water and wouldn't bother her mm-hmm. at all. So, yeah, so I'm assuming uh, him beating the shit out of people for many years as the Hooded Justice, just his hands just don't give a fuck. Or maybe huh. he does have huh. some superpowers. Or maybe he is Dr. Manhattan. That was weird. The fact that, like, that was a whole thing throughout the entire episode, like... That people are saying, like, Dr. Manhattan could be, like, somehow in disguise, but he can't take human shape? He can walk on the sun, but he can't look like a human? No, he, he definitely can. He chose not to. Right, but, but why is Angela and, uh, Angela and her husband saying, like, that Dr. Manhattan can't, like, take, look like a human? 
I mean, he certainly can. That, I mean, it's ridiculous that he couldn't. He, he, he's omnipotent. He can do whatever he wants. He, you know, of course he can, right. he can take... Yeah, I don't understand it. But everybody's probably. saying, like, he can't. So I'm like, what? So he can walk on the sun, but he can't do this one thing? That would be fucking hilarious. I don't know if it's a plot hole, but that's hilarious if he can't. Or they're just, they're lampshading something? Maybe, you know? yeah, maybe. The, but, but, that, but that set up the whole mystery. Is Dr. Manhattan secretly a character in the show? I actually like that. That's a good setup right there. Yeah, I mean, they, they, this, this, all the, all the, all the, you know, jumps to the very end as well. Well, they, they do all these things like, you know, the car getting picked up and then obviously in the next episode getting dropped out. And it's like, is it getting dropped from the owl or is it getting dropped from Dr. Manhattan? Mm -hmm. And you don't know, you know, it's, it, everything's left as a mystery. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of mystery to everything. Like, all these things that we're looking at, they just, none of it really makes much sense. Um, hopefully we'll have some answers in the end, but Damon Lindelof, like, he doesn't usually answer all of the questions. Mm -hmm. Like, even as a, like, Lost, hardly anything was answered, and then, like, in The Leftovers, 75% of stuff was answered, but there's definitely some things that were never answered in, in, the, in The Leftovers, where you're like, what? Um, you know an earthquake happened that that like randomly that you know that that had this one guy survive and there's not supposed to be supernatural events going on you know so i don't know we'll we'll see about this whole pulling an egg out of a a boy boiling water if that's ever <laughs> discussed or well or he did say out. he could uh he did say he, he had, like, psychic abilities or telekinesis, something like that, if I recall correctly. Right, and that, that's another callback to the, to the comic book. So in the comic book, the, the big joke is, Doctor, like, none of the superheroes have any powers except for Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. But they do, there is some mention that there might be psychics out there. And so, you know, some people wonder if, if you know, there's actually psychics because they mentioned it. I thought the boy, um, Angela's um, adopted son, I forgot his name, Topher? I believe. Mm. I thought he was a psychic because when she goes up there, he's there's like something floating in front of him. He like built like a thing that was floating, but I guess that's just technology. That's just a piece yeah, of yeah, it was just a toy. Yeah, right. but it looked but then, like he was using his abilities. Right, but then at the same time, like there's no cell phones or something, you know. So, like, so if you notice, like like pagers are still a thing, beepers are still a thing, and newspapers yeah. are still selling like you know off the shelves. Right. So, and and there was one thing I I didn't catch. Someone caught for me. Um, Nine eleven never happened. So the twin towers sure. are still a thing. And um, yeah, no, it's uh, huh? How many stars are on the flag again? I'm just curious. Oh, I haven't I haven't looked or counted, but right. uh, it looked like I a mean, lot of fucking stars are on there. Right. I mean, obviously, so it's an alternate universe, but mm -hmm. an alternate universe where certain technologies went advanced and certain technologies didn't. Mm-hmm. So, so clear, there's, there doesn't seem to be an internet. There doesn't seem to be <clears throat> cell phones. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, people have owl ships and um, hover, you know, hovercrafts and, and uh, that weird toy, which seemed pretty interesting. Right. So, 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 you know, certain things are just more advanced and certain things are less advanced. So they're just going, you know, it's an alternate, alternate history where... Different things happened. Well, the theory behind that is, is that Dr. Manhattan, all the, the, the technology brought about because of, like, his existence, and ever since, like, he went away, I guess there's a shift away from it? 
Right, but I mean, there's still, you know, the owl was still around. Ozymandias was still around. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, they still had their things. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So um, back to Judd real quick. Oh, yeah. So I'm assuming, I, I figured something wasn't right with Judd. I, I, I just figured. I'm assuming Judd is a white supremacist, but he's on a different group of white supremacy. He's not with the 7th Calvary, but more of a, a, a secret underground white supremacist group that are at odds with the 7th Calvary. They have the same goal, but they can't agree on how to go about that goal, whatever it may be. Well, the, um, so this all gets into the politics of Keene, right? So this Keene guy is running for president against Redford. Right. So I'm assuming that Keene, and Keene was, was being supported by the new frontiersman. And the New Frontiersman, we know, is a right-wing racist newspaper. So I'm assuming that Keene is the right-wing, is a right-wing racist fascist, mm-hmm. and Redford is left-wing. That, especially considering that Redford put in Redfordations, you know, we, we, can, just, we can just kind of assume that. So if, if Judd's wife was working on Keene's campaign, at least Judd's wife is right-wing. And so it does make sense that Judd would be right-wing, too, because he's married to a right-wing woman who worked on a right-wing campaign and all this. Um, but it also seems so simple that, that Judd would be evil, it, like so obvious. I, I, like I said, I guess the twist is that, once again, maybe the Seventh Calvary are being used as like a, a, the scapegoat, as like, the, they're the true enemies, don't look at us. That's what I'm assuming is happening here. Judd is part of the true white supremacist evil group and that they're just using the 7th Calvary as scapegoats. That way no one takes a look at them. Right. I mean, they're trying to do something. You know, he obviously has some sort of secret conspiracy plan. Um, But I I have to say, obvious mysteries throw me off. You know, I'm always like, well, that was so obvious. Like, there must be something more to it. Right. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there's not. Like... Take the, the mystery of who, of Jeremy Irons' identity, okay? The first time we see Jeremy Irons, he's clearly Ozymandias. Mm-hmm. Clearly. And then they wait until the third freaking episode before they confirm that it's Ozymandias. And you're like, why? Like, why did you even, why did you even wait? Like, why do you even have that scene in the third episode where, he's, where he, he announces his name? Like, just, just, he... We all knew. We all knew you were Ozymandias. Like, so, yeah, Judd being evil, like, it's so obvious in the first episode that, especially when his name is freaking evil, um, that I almost feel like there, might be, there, there must be a double twist. You know, she finds a clan robe in his, in his closet, and it's like, well, maybe he's not really. I mean, she even is like, this is ridiculous. Somebody's setting him up. You know, and so it seems too obvious for mm-hmm. him to be evil. But then again, I mean, so many things point to him being part of the right-wing fascist, like his wife working on the Keene campaign. Mm-hmm. So, I don't, so maybe he is just evil, and that's that we just have to accept that. I'm and telling you, man, with- that that's that's the ultimate like like bad guy underground thing. Like, create a separate organization that's bad, so the eyes are off us and more on them. 
that's why he was because I, at first I was like he's probably part of the Seventh Cavalry, but then I be, then I realized that's a that would be a little too obvious. So, so he's so in disguise within the police organization that he's like going out of his way to kill his own comrades. Bullshit. The Seventh Cavalry are just a bunch of like dumbass. It's it's like that one part in um, it's like that one part in uh, American History X. Where I believe mm. Edward Norton's character is like, uh, they get, he, I think he gets compared. It's been a while since I saw that movie, but I remember one scene where where they get compared to his group, to the clan, and he's like, "No, they're just a dumb, a bunch of dumb fuck rednecks. Like we have a plan." Yeah, I think that's what I'm, I'm assuming is happening here. The Seven Cavalry are just a bunch of dumb Nixonville residents who are just pissed off and using Rorschach slash QAnon. Uh, the whole, uh, you know, identity is like, you know, a front and the true yeah. villain, the true evil is behind the scenes. And they're the ones like, you know, who are supposed By to the be way, friends. Spe- speaking of Nixonville, this is another heavy handed scene. And this, this gets into a, a few of the th- reasons why I didn't think episode two is as strong as episode one, three. But it's so Nixonville. They have this scene where the police arrive and in Nixonville, they have this, this ridiculous statue of Nixon. And they say, okay, you know, if you don't do what we want, we're going we're gonna to destroy your god. And the communist, like uh, um, Red Scare, like, you know, this left winger decides to, like, pull down, like, Nixon and, like, you know, and, and, uh, and destroy him, you know. And you're like, okay, they're trying to make some sort of, they're trying to make some sort of statement here about, Left wingers bringing down the the gods of the right wingers, but um, you know, it's like, and it seems really heavy handed, but I'm not sure what they're actually trying to say. You know, <laughs> like it was just there's clearly some symbolism going on, but I'm not sure what the symbolism meant. Did you get that feeling? I'm just surprised that a guy who openly says he's a communist is regularly hanging out with these fucking people, like like Americans in it's... general. Have you noticed that? It, it was all really silly because, I mean, my, I'm watching him with my wife and she's like, she's like, if he's like the one Eastern European guy in Tulsa, like, why does he wear a mask? Isn't it obvious who he is? <laughs> like, aren't they going to come after him? Like, <laughs> maybe he's not really Eastern European at all. He just puts it on. Maybe that's the persona. He just puts on the accent. I mean, <laughs> the, the accent comes with the mask, kind of like when uh, Christian Bale's Batman. I'm Batman. Like, maybe when he puts it on, he, he sounds like this. Is that Eastern yeah. European or that? I don't know what accent yeah. that was, but. <laughs> I just maybe I, just, I have to see scenes with him without without his mask on. Right? Like maybe yeah. Maybe he takes it off and he's like, "Hi, I'm Jerry." And you're like, "Oh." <laughs> You're not Russian at all. I just find it weird that, like, this fucking guy, like, the Russians were, like, a, I guess this is the state of U.S.-Russian relationships, where, uh, I guess the Soviet Union is still kind of the Soviet Union. The fall of the Soviet Union never really happened, I believe, so, and and because yeah. of the whole, like, the squid thing, the U.S. and the Russians are really, like, together on this whole, like, you know, world peace thing, and, like, they're friendly enough to where a communist can regularly walk around just fine. I guess. I mean, you know, I mean, where where I live, it's not like, it's not like people would 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 be angry and attack a guy walking around in communist attire. They'd just be like, oh, that's that's weird. But we, you know. but in that world, they were on the brink of war with these guys. Literally on the brink of war to the point where. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like you're still. I mean, the Soviet Union still exists in this world, and but then again, it's been a long time since since peace. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's. 
that's the thing is the, the alternate world has been going on for so long that you're not sure of the 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 tensions. Like yeah, we can we can kind of imagine there are some, you know, racial tensions, white black tensions over red ferations mm-hmm. and stuff, but but we're not getting all the the international tensions, like what it what it all means. Mm. Mm. And uh, also in the episode, Ozymandias, of course, Adrian Veidt, um, we get the confirmation that this is either a simulation or he's off somewhere, but those people are clearly cl- uh, clones. Mr. Phillips and Ms. Crookshanks, I love that name. Um, yeah. They're re- like the, with, the, with, the, with the play. The we play. the play. Mm-hmm. The play is essentially all about uh, the watchmaker's son, which is uh, well, it's, Joel it's, Osterman. It's odd because now, now we're, you know, we're combining like what's going on in like two and three episode two and episode three because in episode two when i watched episode two and um jeremy irons is watching this play and he's just so into it and he's got all these clones and he, and he passed that tomato tree and you're like okay clearly you know i thought jeremy irons is off at some sort of um deserted area and he's been cloning people and he's obsessed with Dr. Manhattan, and he's been putting on this play because he just has nothing better to do, and he's insane. And then the next episode, you realize that actually he's a prisoner. And you're like, well, oh, Well, before we get so, to the next episode, let's, uh, yeah. on a scale from 1 to 10, what would you give episode 2? I'm going to leave a 7, because I gave episode 1 a 7, I believe. I would give this one g- a 7 as well. It wasn't that bad. It was just, eh, it was whatever. I mean, I, I gave episode 1 a, like, an, a, like a 7 or an 8, I, right? I, I believe you gave it an 8. I give an eight, and I would give episode two a six. I gotta, mm. I'd drop it down a bit. I just thought it was not as interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are these scenes with between Sister Knight and and Will, um, and you're wondering who is this weird guy. But I, I didn't find those scenes that engaging. I didn't find her going to the the Red Foration Museum that interesting because I I'd already figured out that, you know that people are getting money for past violence, probably for Tulsa or whatever. You know, I didn't need an entire museum to explain that to me the next episode when it was kind of apparent, right. you know, that, that this kind of thing happened. Um, you know, apparently there's even more backstory to it. Like, uh, Lindelof in interviews said that the Red Ferations um, was a way to stave off uh, giving more money out um, mm. that. So in real life, Johnny Cochran, the, you know, OJ Simpson's lawyer, right. he actually represented some people from Oklahoma who, who sued the state of Oklahoma for reparations related to the Omaha, the, related to the Tulsa riots. Mm-hmm. And it got to the, the Oklahoma Supreme Court and they ruled that descendants don't suffer the trauma of, of the people that went through it. They said that essentially they don't have standing. Right. Um, so, for instance, uh, say, my, say, your mom is, say your mom is beaten up and you can't go in and sue for damages because you're not suffering from your mother getting beaten. Right. Is the, is the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, which... So, which, you know, people could argue the other way, that no, these things do pass down, gen, you know, generationally, 
people's economic situations, the trauma they felt. Right. People have trauma and then they, they, they enact that trauma upon their children and things like this. So there's there's an argument that... But that's hard that to prove though. Like let's say, let's say uh, you know, um, Angela's family was uh, impacted by the Tulsa, uh, Tulsa riots. Yeah. Let's say they were successful people. What's the... I mean, let's say her grandfather was successful and he was in the Tulsa riots and it made him a poor man. What's to say that if the riots never happened that his successfulness would have, like, you know, gone down? Maybe he could have made a bad business deal and, you know... It's really hard to prove that that success would have, like, continued on because there are plenty of people who get rich and do do well for themselves and their business just goes down or something happens to their money or some unforeseen circumstance. I mean, uh, there obviously, obviously, there's there is on at least on average uh, trauma that's passed down, and and the proof in this is just that, uh, you know, descendants of slaves in America uh, earn less money than people that aren't descendants of slaves in America. Mm. So there, there does seem to be some sort of um, trauma that has been passed down um, in some way, mm-hmm. some sort of socioeconomic cycle. Um, that 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 communities are are, are caught in, um, and, and and a lot of people would point to and say, you know, like Barack Obama is a, is a is a great example of of how if you're if you're not descended from a slave, you don't have that trauma, and you can you know completely rise and and become you know super successful and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this world, essentially, the Johnny Cochran case went the other way. Mm. That. The, that the court ruled that no descendants do have standing, and you can sue for damages that happened to your ancestor, and so that's what's going on. Um, I, and I like what Lindelof said about like you know uh, only giving reparations to the people that were affected in the Tulsa riots minimizes it, getting a lot of money out. Right, and it's not just Tulsa. Like it's other, you know, they it's this list of whatever, a hundred or one hundred fifty different specific incidences of 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 racial violence. Oh, there's more. There's more incidents uh, that that there, Red Federations gives out money towards. There are, Ooh. but it's but it's but it's still less than slavery in general. Mm. <laughs> he's not giving. He's not. They're not giving money out because they said what he was saying is that it would bankrupt the government to give out money to every single descendant of a slave. So in order, to, in order to stave off that, they picked specific incidences of racial violence that happened in history and gave money just to those people and then claimed, ha, we gave you reparations. Hmm. So, and so that's the story that's going on, that it's not reparations for slavery. It's, it's trying to get around giving out re- reparations for slavery by giving reparations for... Some people. F- to some people for specific incidences of racial violence. Mm. Isn't that the best, like, you know, have your cake and eat it too scenario, though? I mean, you can't give it out to everybody because the government would, yeah, of course, but you can give it out to some people. I mean, right. isn't that the best scenario here? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, better to give out money to some people than no people, mm-hmm. but... Um, uh, it's, um, but yeah, there, there is a dark side to it that oh, we were, li- we wanted to get away from being liable for something big, mm-hmm. slavery, uh, by, by admitting liability to, to some other things. So Lindelof put a lot of thought into everything. He did. I admit, like, every scene is like, holy crap. 
And then you're like, oh my God, there's so much, there's so much sensitivity to each little thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's just, it's like rip, like bringing all this stuff up. It, it, it's a well-crafted it's show. It's a very well-crafted yeah. show. And you know what? I'm going to change my score. I would actually give it a six as well. Thinking back on it now, I, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did episode one and three. You're correct. But episode three, let's get into it. It opens up yeah. with uh, Agent Lori Blake. Or, uh, yeah, Lori Blake, right? I said that name right? Yes, Lori yes, Blake. Yes. Played play by the, 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 the very famous Gene Smart. Gene Smart. And um, she goes into a bank, tries to rob it to lure out a vigilante, and she ends up shooting the vigilante in the back. She's no nonsense. And when she goes back to her apartment, we later find out that she is the... You could never, you could never do that in real life. That's entra- the whole thing was entrapment, but whatever. Right. <laughs> I guess the anti-vigilante task force, they're uh, given special... special uh, right permission to do whatever to, to catch these guys but um she goes back to her apartment and we find out that uh the senator uh keen you said his name was mm-hmm. yes he comes to see her and we find out that she's the second silk specter her mom was the first one so so if she's the yes. second silk specter that means her boyfriend was dr manhattan which is later confirmed and her father mm-hmm. was the comedian yes mm-hmm. and actually her being her being um working for the government as this like hit that that goes and takes down uh costume heroes that was the comedian's job oh and so like the 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 turn on this is we always think of silk specter being silk specter 2 like following after her in her in her mother's footsteps the the twist here is that she's follow she's following in her father's footsteps Mm. instead that she's not really silk specter 2 she's really the comedian 2 Huh, I like that. That's 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 the twist. Yeah, I like yeah. that. So, um, I was actually I'll save this for later because I thought it was this was fucking hilarious. Throughout the entire episode, she's telling she's trying to contact Doctor Manhattan. So apparently, there are multiple phone booths across the country that mm. go off into Mars, and you're supposed to leave a message for Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, I guess they see. I guess, I imagine their novelty. Things. I mean, they're pretty big for being no- for for being novelty joke things. Like, send a message to Doctor Manhattan. But, um, but yeah, I guess they exist. People really want to know that somebody's listening. Right. That God. That God's listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she goes off. She gets assigned to Tulsa, and uh, she right, right off the bat. By 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 the way, as someone who interviews people for a living, mm. like I I interview people for information. Like this is a huge part of my job. Um, she's horrible at interviewing people. Really, you think so? <laughs> so whenever you interview someone, you don't want you don't want to make um, one of the prime things is you don't want to come off as hostile or adversarial because someone that sees their interview or as adversarial is is more likely to clam up mm. and say nothing. So like her going in and like just being a complete asshole. Like, it's just a horrible way to go about interviewing people. Like, what information are you going to get out of people if you're, if you're acting like a big, threatening asshole? But nothing. You know, you, you want to go in and act like... They're your friend. You know, you're so, yeah, that you're there to help and you're, you're a friend and that you're on their side mm-hmm. and, you know, that you're going to be helpful. Um, it's, it's much better play, you know, it's, it's, it's best to play good cop, good cop. Um, the fact that she just goes in and acts like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I laughed, I laughed my ass off at all of it, but it was just so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she go, she gets in there, and uh, she's essentially, you know, uh, 
she takes no shit. She gets in there. She gets into Tulsa, and she uh, tr is trying to get information. And um, the funeral for Judd is, is underway. And during the funeral, a suicide bomber tries to take the senator hostage. Now, once mm. again, this is why I'm, I'm thinking that the senator and Judd were all part of like the same secret underground um, uh, a white supremacy group that's in conflict with the Southern Cavalry. Because of course they're trying. But to yeah, that was just horrible security. Like how <laughs> on so earth? Yes, I agree. Like how on earth? Like wouldn't you have somebody in that mausoleum the whole time? Right. Like, like, like just the horrible security. Mm -hmm. But may. Ugh. By the way, also. Um, you know, dumping the exploding body into the into the grave was a great that was a great idea. Putting the coffin on top, horrible idea. So, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, you want the explosion to go upward, mm -hmm. which which it would. But then, why would you put in like shrapnel for that could hurt people? Like you put you just put in like an object. Like had she not done that, the explosion would just be pushing air upward into the sky, throwing in the the coffin, that just creates a whole bunch of, like, wooden shrapnel that's going to, like, spray out and, and, like, hurt people. But, wouldn't, but so, wouldn't, the, wouldn't the wooden shrapnel spray upwards as well? Not, like, like because if she left yeah. if she left the coffin there next to the hole, then that means the, the there's a chance that the explosion could have knocked the coffin back and the shrapnel would have spread out more than it would have if the, the coffin was inside the hole, right? No, I mean the co I mean the, the, the force the force has to go into something, and so the force is either going to go into air, and you're pushing air, and air pushing into somebody. We close enough air pushing into you can really hurt you, and, and, and but but force going into the wood, especially sharp wood and tiny little pieces, mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot worse. Um, now, granted, you're right that if it's pushing up, maybe it doesn't matter, but the the the, the coffin. If it successfully only pushes up and, you know, some piece of wood doesn't fly in some so, sort of odd trajectory, you know, but there's no point in pushing the coffin in. Just have the, um, if, in fact, if you go into, um, if you're in, uh, say, a city like Washington, D.C., um, and you look at the trash cans and public transportation, you'll notice that they're very thick all the way around hmm. and, and there's no lid. And that's for a reason. It's actually for the exact same situation as that bomb um, at that, at that uh, graveyard. Like, you want the explosion to go up, straight up, where it won't hurt anybody. And no lid, no shrapnel, just, you know, nothing. The, the outside ring is tough, is tough enough that it's not going to break. Um, and so the explosion just will just go straight up. Huh. And so, yeah. So you know the funeral happens when it, when when she pushes the uh, the 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 casket in there. I'm like, oh my god, holy yeah. shit! That was Jesus. That was a cool scene. That was, I mean, cool overall, scene, it was a cool but, scene. I, I, I love this scene. And I'm being a, I'm being a know-it-all, but by being like, ah, I shouldn't have put the coffin. No, in there. no, you're fine. But that was that was fairly intense. I, I kind of like that. But um, <laughs> it, it kind of shocked me a little. Like, oh my god. But um, okay. And, and 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 Silk Spectre is like, I thought there, she was bluffing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We also get kind of hints, by the way, with uh, Silk Spectre. Keen is trying to convince her to go there by saying, "I'll help get your owl friend out of jail." Yeah. So the owl seems to be in jail, mm. which is. Um, I don't know why. I guess because he considered he continued to be a, a masked vigilante, and then, um, and that's illegal in the world. 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't when she breaks up with Dr. Manhattan, doesn't she, like, have a relationship with the owl guy? She does. Mm-hmm. And, uh... I guess she takes the job because she wants to get him out of prison. And uh, I wonder, I'm wondering if she still has contact with Ozymandias or Ozymandias go completely like off the grid. Because at one point her partner says he heard a rumor that Ozymandias is somewhere in Argentina and he like got a huge plot of land and is just doing like whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, it's really tough to, it's tough to know like where Oz, Ozymandias is. Like who is keeping him prisoner? Like it's very clear that he's trying to escape. So I have a theory about this. Before we get to Ozymandias' scenes, you know, the one thing I wanted to talk about with Silk Spectre is, like, she goes back into her apartment at the beginning of the episode, and she has this, like, silver briefcase. I'm like, oh, something, like, really, like, the connection, maybe a secret connection to Dr. Manhattan. No, it was a a giant blue dildo. Yeah, giant novelty blue dildo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That she decides not to use, and then she has sex with, like, Uh, Petey. The fanboy. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the fanboy. (laughs) She has him wear the mask. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, really? yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. Let me check. Oh, right oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His little Lone Ranger mask. That's funny. <laughs> uh, and then the car comes down, and if God, there's some daddy issues there, because because comedian used to wear a mask like that. Mm, oh. I actually. Oh, really? Mm, okay. Yeah, gross. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, Jesus Christ! And as she's walking away from her phone call, the car comes down. Now, I guess the phone, the, the whole phone booth thing was in Tulsa the entire time, I think? Yeah, I guess so. Or, or if it wasn't, then maybe that's what ultimately convinces her to go to Tulsa, because that's Angela's car. Right, and, and it's, it's, it's odd. She looks up and she laughs and thinks it's Dr. Manhattan. But, of course, the last time we saw it, it was getting picked up by a magnet, mm-hmm. which makes us think it was picked up by an owl uh, machine. And that it, so if it's dropped, it seems like it was dropped by an owl machine. So she is, I I don't know if she's incorrectly thinking it's it's uh, Doctor Manhattan when it was when it was fact an owl. Hmm. Um, well, you know, as she's on? looking away, she sees that it's um, as she's looking away, she sees like a little uh, like uh, flash in the sky. Yeah. Right. right. So. I'm not sure if she's supposed to think it's Mars mm-hmm. or if it's if she if she knows it's an owl machine. So, there has to be, my, my thought here is that Will has to be kind of like the mentor of some secret, like, underground hero group or something. Like, some secret un- mm. underground, like, Owlman, like, fanboys. Because, mm, there's no way this guy's psychic. Well, that would be, that would be interesting, that, that, that there's Rorschach fanboys out there, mm-hmm. but that, that there's also Owl fanboys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many possibilities now. I mean, now that they've introduced clones, um, and granted, I, clones were in the fir- were in the original Watchmen comic, but now that there's clones, like I do wonder, is Judd even dead? Mm. You know, like, or is that just a was that a Judd clone? Well, let, you know? let's get like, into no Ozymandias and, and like his whole yeah. thing. So we we start off. He's like trying to build something. It looks like he was trying to build a spacesuit. Yeah, or at least something to to get all out of his prison. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. you keep saying it's a prison. Who keeps him there? Uh, so when I watched the the uh, the episode, Miss um, Crookshanks, while he's meditating, Miss Crookshanks comes in. I watched the episode with subtitles on, and yeah. um, I'm trying to get to it real quick. Let me. Uh... Sorry to disturb you, Master, but there's a letter. Can you hear it? Yeah. From the game warden. 
Read it to me. So as she starts Let's reading it, he calls this person the adversary. Hold on. As she reads it, he stops her. Dear so on the subtitle, she says, Dear Ma... And he stops her. It says, Dear M-A-S. So it seems like the game warden is calling Adrian Veidt Master. Who calls him Master? Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks. What I'm assuming here is the thing is that there is nobody keeping him there. He's keeping himself there because he gets bored. That's why he put on the play because, of course, and he has one of his uh, Mr. Phillips clones as the quote-unquote adversary because at the very end of his scene in this episode, he puts oh. on his Ozymandias mask and his, uh, his outfit. So I guess in order to cure his own boredom, he's kind of like, you know really just creating his own adversary to fight against every once in a while. So you're sa you're saying, oh, that's clever, mm -hmm. that there is no, there is no, he's not in a prison. I mean, he's a prison of his own making. Yes. You're saying he's created his own opponent. Not to mention, like, like, so, so when he's writing to go get the bison, um, they're bison, right? Not buffalo or they're buffalo? I think they're a little like bison. Uh, well, so the, in, in, in America, the word bison and buffalo are, are synonymous. Mm, okay. But, um... But you know, in different in different countries, you know, there there are different types of buffalo and bison. But American American buffalo and, and American bison are, are synonymous terms. Yeah. Okay, so when he was going off to hunt, um, the the little like the little the little uh, sign there was almost like a cartoonish like like skull and bones thing, and <laughs> the uh, the guy. Um, sends him a letter with the the stamp that has the same same sign. It's like it, it's clearly if if this was like a real like keep out sign, it wouldn't have a cartoonist green bullet, uh, skull and bones. It would be like an actual yeah. legit like official sign to keep out, and uh, this isn't. So and we never see the game warden's face. We never see his face, and um, yeah. well, yeah, it could be it could be another Mister Phillips. Uh, some people think it was is the the leather of the suit like was that actually you know tanned human skin you know like ah. that, that, he, that he put together like does he only have like infinite crook, crookshanks and phillips to like deal with you know he grows his clothes he grows his clothes <laughs> no but i'm thinking that uh he's gone i don't want to say he's gone insane but he's clearly trying to i guess reach dr manhattan yeah. because well flying to mars like that's just I mean, it sounds like he's, his guy is freezing by trying to go into the air mm -hmm. and getting frozen. Um, but flying to Mars, that's, 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 that would take years. So I mean. there's one thing I also forgot to mention that was a kind of like a cute little thing. I actually looked this up here. Let me go back to the thing real quick. Okay, it's right here. Uh. So when, when uh, Senator Keene is giving the interview after the uh, funeral attacks, uh, one of the reporters says, uh, what's his opinion on the Russians trying to build their own intrinsic field generator? The intrinsic field, or I think this might be a, 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 an error, but uh, the intrinsic field subtractor was the machine that um, Dr. Manhattan goes into. I, I called him Joel Osterman earlier. It's John Osterman. Oh, so they're trying to create their own Dr. Manhattan. I guess. 
So that's that's the one thing I know. I'm like intrinsic field. What what the Russians are trying? And I looked it up. The Watchman Wiki says it's the intrinsic field subtractor, and it's a machine that utilizes radiation to remove intrinsic fields from solid objects. Typically, the object subjected to the machine's process is disintegrated. The machine is first introduced in Watchmen uh, Four: Watchmaker. When John Osterman reports the Gilead Flats, blah, blah blah blah, he runs and studies many experiments using the subtractor until one day he's accidentally locked in the main chamber and obliterated by radiation. When the program cannot be overwritten. So, or overridden, I'm sorry. So, yeah, apparently the Russians are trying to build their own, and that gets quickly brushed aside. Yeah, well, that would be a huge freaking big deal to have, like, a second Dr. Manhattan mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> so, the episode uh, essentially is is pretty awesome. I actually really liked it. The introduction of Silk Spectre, I thought it was kind of be, this new character was kind of be like, ugh, here we go, but... <laughs> I yeah. actually like her. I actually do. So the third the third episode is very... Well, I mean, so episodes one and two try to do this a bit, but it's, it's, it's more obvious with the third one, and that is being focused around a single character. So the first character, the first episode is, more, is most focused around Judd, and the second character, the second episode is most focused around um, uh, Sister Knight. And then the third character is focused around Silk Spectre. And that's very <clears throat> Damon Lindelof. Like he, he likes telling stories <clears throat> by having each each character be each episode be character driven around one. And this is how he did Lost a lot. Is how he did Leftovers. Um, like the the overall story will move forward, but you're you're going you kind of hop from perspective to perspective uh, in order to advance the story. Um, and it's a little different than, say, you know, a lot of people say, well, how is that different than, say, Game of Thrones? I mean, the Ice and Fire. And it's like, well, it's a little different because maybe the early chapters of Ice and Fire, you have a, a one story going <clears throat> and then through multiple perspectives. But it eventually just becomes you have 10 separate stories and then you're alternating them. You're getting back to what's happening with Tyrion. You're getting back to what's happening with, with Catelyn. There, there's, there's not a continuous um, narrative. And so the, Lindelof is big into this, like, swapping perspective on the, on the continuing narrative going forward, which is... So next episode, you know, we, it may be focused on a completely different character. We'll see. I liked it. It was uh, pretty good. I would give it an 8. 8 out of 10. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I liked it too. I, I actually want to watch it again um, to see what I missed on this one. Because seems to be a lot. Seems to be a lot. And you know what's funny? Like, like just talking about this now. Like, the episode is almost an hour long. It's around like fifty something minutes, and um, yeah, it doesn't seem like anything. It doesn't seem like a lot happens. But I, I feel like I always miss a ton of things. It's almost as though like there's not a lot going on because with Spill Specter, she does the, the bank thing, then goes to Tulsa, yeah. and then goes to like the, the the funeral, and then has that brief conversation with Angela. That's it. Once again with uh, Ozymandias. Just a little, just little stuff happen here and there, but I feel like there's also so much in the background jam packed that it just feels like enough happens. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know what's funny is because we switched perspectives, like not very much happened with 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 uh, with um, Ange- Sister Knight, yeah, Angela, um, because and we're okay with that because we've switched to to Silk Spectre mm-hmm. to 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 Lori, right? Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing. You get to breathe from one plot by focusing on the second plot. 
I mean, that plot, her plot advanced a tiny bit, but not much, you know? It's, it's an interesting um, way of doing things, because in the third episode, you almost felt like you were outside of, um, of Sister Night. Like, all of a sudden, the protagonist felt like this background character who was, you know, somewhere else. We didn't feel inside her head. We felt she, she had this tough exterior all of a sudden when we saw her. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're seeing her through Silk Spectre's um, uh, perspective, you know it was it, it was it was fun. I, I I like how it's structured. I I really love how the leftovers did this. You, you like the way it's structured um, like this because it, it is kind of like Ice and Fire. It'd be like having it is. It'd be like having it like uh, like Tyrion for an entire like point of view chapter and having him interact with another point of view chapter from his point of view and so on and so forth. Like yeah, like it's 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 really like that. It is, I mean, it, and you only have a few examples of this, like when, you, when you're reading a Tyrion chapter and then Sansa's in mm -hmm. it, and Sansa seems so distant, and, and you're like, what's going on with her? And she seems so odd and, and stone. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a Sansa chapter, you have all of Sansa's thoughts. So it's so different. And meanwhile, you know, Tyrion from that perspective is going to be, you know, um, not readable. And so it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it it happens in those first few episodes, in those first few chapters of Game of Thrones. It happens with the, like the Tyrion Sans chapters in A Clash of Kings and A Storm of Swords, mm -hmm. and then it happens a, it happens a little bit with the with the Quentin and Daenerys. Um, you know, when you swap to Daenerys's perspective from Quentin's, but uh, you know, the, those instances are actually kind of few and far between. But it is like Ice. I mean, I, I'll say it's. I, I do like those parts of Ice and Fire when when the stories when the when the point of views cross over. You know, so um, yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's fun. So in, in our in our last uh, podcast episode, uh, we said how. I felt I, I felt as though a lot of people outside the United States probably wouldn't be uh, too much into this series because it does focus a lot on American like you know uh, political things and all, all that. But I have to I, I'm gonna kind of walk back on the, on that a little bit. I I do feel as though this would probably resonate with a lot of people outside the U.S. The only difference I would say is if you if you don't know anything about Watchmen, watch the movie. And the only difference in the movie versus this is that in the movie, um, something happens with Doctor Manhattan, and in the show. Something happens with him that doesn't happen in the movie, if you know what I'm talking about. Towards the very end of mm. Ozymandias, I kind of don't yeah, want to yeah, spoil yeah. it, but if you're already watching, I mean, um, I guess spoiler alert, in the movie, Ozymandias kind of makes uh, Dr. Manhattan the scapegoat for the whole getting the U.S. and the Russians to be you know, closer together, whereas in the comics, it's just the giant squid. So it, it fo mostly follows yeah. the comics, and if you don't want to read the comics, just watch the movie and then make that distinction. Um, but no, I would recommend this to people outside the U.S. You don't have to be an American or even understand American politics too much to uh, really enjoy it. I, I do highly recommend it now. Episode 3, this is the third episode test. If after episode 3 you're not really hooked on it, then get off of it. Yeah. But I, I'm a little hooked. I, the, the mystery is starting to deepen. Episode 2 put out the mystery like, is Dr. Manhattan secretly a part of the cast? Who could it be? Um yeah, and the whole thing with Will—it's it's, yeah. it's amazing because every episode answers one question and then creates ten more. We're like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know. Um, and I've seen people ask in interviews, like, is are things going to come together in the end? You know, and he, he claims that it's going to be self-contained. That by by the end, by the end of episode nine, it's only going to be nine episodes, not mm -hmm. ten. Um, that you know, 
it'll things will be answered. So I hope we do get a season two, but if we do get a season two, I hope they don't do what Westworld is doing, where Westworld season two is so convoluted and so just up their own ass. And, uh, <laughs> you agree with me? You know what I'm talking about. Well, Westworld season two, you know they they, they tried. They, they you know they tried to make it as complicated. As season one, and it just it kind of got convoluted. It was it was very convoluted. It's one of those Westworld season two. I I felt as though would have worked better the the structure of it if it was a Netflix series because Netflix releases all the episodes at once. If you could binge Westworld season two in a row, you'd kind of understand it a little bit better. But oh, it's just not as fun though. I mean, the best part of of Westworld is like theorizing with people week to week about what what's happening I, what's gonna happen i would argue that was fun for season one even though i wasn't here for season one i could have seen how it was mm. fun for season one because i was watching it with someone and like she already had seen it and uh she was like "Ooh, what do you think about this and when i was theorizing with her privately as i was going through it myself like one episode a day but uh, with season two eh, not really there weren't a lot of i don't remember there being a lot of theories in regards to season two as much as there was season one yeah, it's funny. My mom was my mom was down here uh, visiting visiting the baby, and so she was looking for something to watch. So so I had her watch the beginning of Westworld, and it's funny because she's just so like she's not she doesn't search the internet afterwards for theories and all of this. So but it's just you know she's just watching it like a you know regular naive human being, and it's just it's funny how much. Like what she's what she gets and catches on to and what she's missing and it's hilarious, you know. So it's hilarious because yeah, she hasn't she hasn't figured out yet um, the two timelines. She's just like she's like I don't understand. Everything's jumping around. It's really confusing. And I was like, yeah, how's that? That person was alive and now they're dead and then they're alive again. I don't know how that's possible. You know, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I and I hope that's what we get from uh because with with Westworld season one, when you're done, it's like watching watching it over again. Like you get like it clicks a bit more. Like you start noticing certain things. Yeah. I hope that's what we get with Watchmen season one. After Watchmen season one is done, we go back and Watchmen season one again, and like it starts starts clicking in there for you. But um, overall, I would give this episode an eight. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. Um, you enjoyed it as well. You give it an eight. Yeah, I give it mm-hmm. an eight. Yeah, we have. I do. I so far, I still don't think it's as good as um, uh, Leftovers, but I do think this is a really exciting show, and I, I mean, I like it a lot. I'm really looking forward to the next episode. Um, I, but I, I don't think it's quite as good as Leftovers, which is funny. Not yet, but <laughs> you know? it's we're only on three episodes. Maybe you might change your mind once we get to episode nine, because I feel like there's way more good stuff coming. HBO has really put an emphasis on a lot of the supernatural stuff recently, especially with the advent of the success of Thrones. So maybe we might see Dr. Manhattan and maybe him coming out of nowhere and revealing himself to be this, this, and this, maybe that might be like what tips it over the edge for you in regards to leftovers. Yeah. I mean, I was talking, I was, I was um, listening to an yeah, inter- interview with Lindelof and he was talking about um, how much he wanted it to be adjacent to the Watchmen universe and how much he wanted to say, how much he wanted to just be like, fuck it. This is the West. This is the the Watchmen universe. I'm going to use the Watchmen characters, and so like in that first episode where we don't really have anybody like in the show, Doctor Manhattan is off on on Mars, and it's like yeah, these, these this 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 terrorist group is acting like is acting in in the 
in a worship sense of Rorschach, but other than that, and somebody was using an owl ship, but it, everything was adjacent to Watchmen. Episode three is the first time, and even even Jeremy Irons is off in this other world separate from everything. So episode three is the first time we're like, oh, like the Watchmen are here, they're characters. Like it's about them. Like this is no longer a Watchmen adjacent story. This is Watchmen, you know, with Silk Spectre's part of it, you know, and we're talking about like doing stuff with Owl and, you know, and doing things for Owl. So we'll, we'll see how it Well, goes. episode three, like you said, it, it, it does open it up, like, you know, the bigger, broader scope uh, introduces all these new new people. So, yeah, hopefully they keep doing that. I, I want to know what's going on here, here, and here. There's so many stars in the American flag. I want to know more about the world, and this does a bit of world building as well. So, uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? No, no. I, I, I think, though, I, I just want to apologize to everyone because... Carmen and I were all over the map because they because the episodes are so confusing and there's so much going on and it's so dense. We're 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 hopping from event to event. Like, had you not watched the show and you were listening to us, like nothing would make sense right mm. now. Like, <laughs> but but uh, if you've you know seen the episodes, it's um, there's a lot going on, and so it's just we're kind of jumping around on on events and themes and everything. It's just it's really rich. It's a rich show. Unlike, say, the last few seasons of Game of Thrones, where just an episode, an episode happens and nothing happens. You know, you just have these non-episodes where, you know, people have entire scenes of eating and staring at each other and not saying anything. You know, like, there's so much has happened in every episode, and there's so much going on that it's, it's, it's quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we will be back next week with the next episode of Watchmen. We will try to uh, get these out more, uh, more, more frequently. Um, we were a little busy last week, mostly me. But um, yeah, thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you all next time. Have a good one.